This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to The Sand with Eamon Dunphy and to part two of my interview with Liam Brady. Now, Liam Brady has written a brilliant autobiography. It's in the bestsellers list already. It has been very warmly received and reviewed as one of the best football biographies ever written. And knowing Liam, it's no surprise. Everything he's done, he does with real intelligence, real determination and a real attention to detail. And when we left the story, he just signed for Juventus. It was a very brave decision to take. He was doing what only Kevin Keegan had done successfully, that is, go to Europe and make it work. And Liam did that. And he joins us now to talk about that. The image of Trapattoni fixing your record player, as we used to call them back in the day, is an enduring image that many people have remarked upon. However, that was it, your first few days in Turin. Now you go on and have a, a successful first season. How did you feel you'd done? Because it's a big transition. And John had reassured you, because you'd asked John Giles, as you did on most things, will this be okay? John said you'll get more time on the ball and it'll work perfectly for you. How did it work for you on that first season? Well, it took me maybe about two or three months before I really started to show what I could do, Eamon. Yeah. I think we see it quite often in the Premier League, players from uh, afar or for, for foreign yes. leagues, not used to the Premier League football, take take a few months to settle in. Well, it, it happened to me that way when I went to Italy. It took me two or three months before I really started to play well. And there was a, a big game against Inter Milan, which is a bit like Liverpool, Manchester United yes. um, in England. Uh, it's the big, big, big game between two kind of power powerhouse cities for football. And um, and we beat them two one, and I scored a goal and made a goal. Right. And all of a sudden, everything changed for me then. I began to score quite a few goals from midfield. Um, things began to click for me. And we went on a very, very uh, strong, unbeaten run under Trapattoni. And we got to the top of the table and we, we held on to it in the last couple of games of the season, you know. So to win the league um, and and to do with a... Quite a big contribution from myself with goals and things like that. I couldn't yeah. have felt better how how the first year went. Right, and one thing that sets you apart from almost everyone who went from England to play in Europe is you learned a language. You and Sarah, your wife, learned a language. How difficult was that, and how did you do it? Well, we wanted to do it for a start, Eamon. We, we, yeah. I'd watched Keegan and how he'd settled in in Germany. And there was this documentary with Brian Moore, the old yes. ITV commentator. And he went over to see Keegan in Hamburg and it showed his lifestyle and how he kind of integrated in amongst the, the people in the city and he, he was speaking the language and so forth. So I thought that was a great example of how to go about it the right way. And that's what we did. We got a teacher um, uh, who, you know, helped us with the basics of the language and 
I think um, I put in the book as well that my education, learning French, helped yes. me helped me a great deal uh, when I went to Turin because the you know the grammar grammatically French and Italian much the same. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that that was a big help to me. And then you know we we got we 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 just tried our best, you know, and yeah. um, began to try and speak it and. I think the local people are happy when they see you having a go and prepared to help you. Very much so. And uh, yes. I think after after a few months, we could understand pretty well. And then after about a year, we began to we began to be able to speak it like so we could be understood properly. Yeah, and you won the Syria season number one. Now season number two, you're bang there again, and at the time. Only two foreign players were allowed to play for any Italian team. They were concerned that it would weaken their national team if you had too many foreigners playing for the big clubs in the big league. I don't know whether they were right or, or not, but at one stage it had been one player. Now it was two players. Yeah, my, my first two years in, in Juventus, it was only one foreign player. Right. But they really had their side set, not only on winning uh, the Serie A, but they wanted to do well in Europe, and yes. they hadn't done well in Europe. Uh, well, I think you could look at the previous ten years when they didn't have foreign players. You know, they've all yeah. you know, top foreign players have always been a help in winning trophies. And, yes, you know the people at the clubs like Inter Milan and Juventus and uh, Roma, and they they were pushing the league to open it up a bit more. So after two years. It was going to be two foreign players. Right. And, uh, well, uh, you know, we were, as you say, we were doing well again the second season. However, we got knocked out of the European Cup by Anderlecht, which was, we beat Celtic in our first round. And then in the second round, we got knocked out by Anderlecht. And that was a big blow to the club. And looking back, that might have had something to do with right. the decision. To change me over with Platini because yes, Agnelli, um, Gianni Agnelli was the owner of Juventus. Fiat. Yes. Uh he was a huge industrialist, huge businessman, and uh, compare him to present day football, probably someone like Abramovich. Yes, you know, yes, who indeed. Had, yeah, um, a lot of money to uh, to to develop the club, but he wanted to have a say in in buying some of the players as well, I think, you know. Yeah. And I always thought he, he really liked Platini. So we'd done a deal with, uh, Juventus had done a deal with Poland uh, to get Boniak out of there because those were the days where yes. in the, behind the Iron Curtain in Eastern Europe, you couldn't just leave your country. You know, you had to have permission from the government to go. Yeah. So some deal was done with uh, Poland and an industry, I think it was cars, uh, to allow Boniek to join us. Yeah. So I thought I was going to be playing with Boniek till I got that, till I got that fateful phone call. On you know. Yes, and it was from your former agent Dennis Roach, who kind of inadvertently made you aware of something you didn't know. Isn't that right? Well, yeah, he was he was looking for business, wasn't he? You know, yeah. like. Yeah, like a lot of them operate, um, and he was ringing me up to tell me, like, I could get you back to England. Manchester United would like to have you. Arsenal would would have you back. Uh, uh, I can help you with those moves. And I said, Well, what are you on about, Dennis? You know, I've got yeah. I've got another year to go at Juventus, and I'm very happy here. And he said, Oh, I thought you might have known that Platini's going to sign for them. So Platini and Boniek means that there's. You know you're going to be you're going to be pushed out, and I said, "Well, that's news to me." So I put the phone down, and I just kind of had a feeling it was true. And I said to Sarah, "I said, look, you know, he usually has his stuff right. He he mixes in those yes. those circles." So I went in that day, and I pulled Trapattoni after training, and I said to him, "I've heard that, you know." Uh, the club are going to sign Platini, and I could tell from his reaction. He, he he denied it and said he didn't know anything about it. But I can tell from his reaction, yes. he was he was very kind of uncomfortable. 
that it was true, you know. So when I went back in the dressing room uh, to get changed and go home, um, I got a call. The call came through to go and see the president. And when I went to see the president, he told me. Uh, they were hoping to keep it quiet till the end of the season, but yes. uh, that was that proved impossible. Now, Liam, you were coming to the end of what looked like being another successful season. You'd been there, won the Serie A in your first season, Serie A, now it's on the horizon that you're going to win it again. And one decision you made, I think you learned with three games to go or something in the season, and you said to Trap, okay, and you had been the designated penalty taker, and you said, but I'm not going to take any penalties in these last games, given the circumstances that I'm in, that the club's in, it would be better if I didn't take them. You get to the last game, it's not against one of the big clubs, it's against one of the little clubs who you expected to beat, but you're struggling to do it, and you get a penalty. What happens next? <laughs> All your teammates, and there were some of the greatest players in Europe at the time, disappear. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there's, there, there's always, Italians always volunteer when you're two or three up and take a penalty. They've got no problem with that. But yeah. when the game's in the balance, you know, you got very few stepping forward. And the, the, uh, uh, there was a guy called uh, Verdes who went on to play for uh, uh, Inter Milan. And no, sorry, he went on to play for AC Milan after Juventus. He was a good striker, and Trapattoni had made him made him the penalty taker when I said I didn't want to take it anymore. Yeah, and he'd been substituted like ten minutes before we got the penalty. So Trapattoni kind of looked at me, and I said, "Well, okay, you know." And yeah. uh, uh, I, I scored. It wasn't the best of penalties, I have to say, Eamon, Looking back, but it went in. But it was a big bottle job, Liam. I mean. That kind of pressure, in that kind of moment, and in the circumstances you were in, this was effectively your last game for the club. Well, I could see there wasn't many, there weren't many volunteers. There. Yeah, <laughs> no. no, but the thing is, it, it was a huge thing to do, and I think you're remembered because I know I went to Italy to cover an international match after, which we actually it was a match we were both at in Naples when we just ran into each other. It was a match between Italy and France, if I'm not mistaken. However, we walked into a restaurant in Naples and everyone crowded around you. And your courage in that moment was very striking and very impressive to Italians, correct? Well, yeah, they made a big deal of it, but I didn't see it that way. I mean, you know, I yeah. just felt I was probably the best man at the time, you know, to, yeah. to go and take it. I had a good record at scoring penalties, so... Uh, you know, I went. I went ahead and took. I, I didn't want to play the last three games when I got the news, Eamon. But, yes. Uh, I was speaking to Ronnie Teeman, who was my solicitor. He said, "Look, you've got to, you got to finish it out properly. You'll be remembered for that more than yes. you know, throwing your toys out of the pram type of thing." Now, obviously, a huge blow from a club, you know, that is right there, won two series in succession. You go to Sampdoria, and there was a very good film about your time in Italy, recently out, as you know, and very well received as well here. And it seemed to me, looking at that film, that going to Sampdoria was one of the happiest times for you and Sarah. You lived in a beautiful location. Tell us about Sampdoria, because sadly, one of the people you played with there was... Trevor Francis, the late Trevor Francis now, who died very recently, and he went there. Graham Sunes subsequently went there as well. But they weren't a big club, were they? They were an ambitious club. That's right, yeah. They were a club that's probably, if I could compare it to England, maybe it was a bit like Jack Walker taking over at Blackburn Rovers, yes. you know? Yes. He wanted to put his, his club on the map. Well, Paolo Mantovani was the president of Sampdoria. And he had plenty of money, and he thought, I'm going to build this club up, but I'm going to do it properly. I'm not just going to throw money at it. I'm going to buy young players. And like I was only 26 when he got me to go there, yes. and he bought Roberto Mancini at 17, and he, he, brought, he bought two or three very, very strong up-and-coming young players. Eventually, he bought Gianluca Vialli, you know, and yes. we all know what Vialli and Mancini did together. So yes. 
he was he he had a plan and uh, he went about it very intelligently. He was also very straightforward and very honest. And he said to me, like, I'm going to buy another big foreign player. And I said, well, okay, great. Uh, uh, and then, like, he surprised me, but he, ne- he ne- never told me he bought Trevor Francis from Manchester City, you know, which was uh, a huge buy. You know, Trevor yes. was one of the best, best uh, attacking players around, you know. So I was delighted there, and we played really, really well. We our first our first three games in my first season there we beat Juventus, which was ironic in the first game of the season, and then we went to Inter Milan and beat them, and then we beat Roma at home. Yes. So we played the three top teams and beat them all, but it couldn't last because we didn't have the players or the squad, and uh, we finished top top seven or top eight, you know. Yes. But he was well pleased with that. This was progress. This was a club that had just come up from from Serie B, you know, so um, we got off to a very, very good start. Uh, and I had very happy times there, as you say. I wasn't uh, I wasn't kidding in that film. Uh, it was a very happy time for me. And uh, yes. uh, my daughter, Ella, was born uh, that first season with Sampdoria. So that was brilliant as well. So, um, yeah, we had, a, we had a, a very nice time there. But I had... Always had an inkling that I wanted to get back to the highest level, Eamon. Yeah, you know, and Sampdoria yeah, yeah. were probably were probably it was going to take a good few years before that to happen. So Inter Milan next up. Yeah, well, Inter Milan called, and hey, they had they had a lot of the top Italian players. Altabelli scored a goal in the '82 World Cup. He was their striker. Uh, Zenga was the goalkeeper, Baresi, Bergami, wow. Ferri were Italian defenders. They had four or five Italian internationals. And then they they, they bought Karl-Heinz Rummenigge from Bayern Munich. Yes. You know? So I was going into a club that expected expected to be there and win. Um, and playing at the San Siro in front of 80,000 people most weeks was was something I couldn't turn down. So you're going from a club that was kind of growing but would take a while to one of the great Italian clubs with some of the great players. And their other foreign player was Rummenegger from Germany, who was an outstanding player. You became very friendly with Rummenegger. We did. We shared a room together. It was uh, strange, wasn't it? You know, yeah. an Irishman and, and a German speaking, speaking Italian, you know. Yes, he's, he's still in the game at Bayern Munich, isn't he? Yeah, he's uh, he was a big. He went on to be uh, the president of Bayern Munich, and he's he's no longer in that position. But they had some, you know, marvelous times winning the Champions League and and plenty of German titles with Karl Heinz as president. So yeah, uh, he went on to have a great career in football. But we we became really good friends, and we still contact one another now, as I do with a lot of the players that I played with. Uh, but we fell short at Inter Milan, Eamon. I, I had two years there, and I needed to win, and we fell short of winning the title. We should have won it in our first year, but fell away stupidly in the last kind of two months of the season uh, when we were neck and neck with Verona. Yeah. And Verona went on to win it, which is a bit like Leicester City winning the yes. Premier League. Yes. Um, uh, then the second season, uh, you know, the manager was moved on, was sacked in the middle of the season, and it was just just a club in a bit of turmoil. But we got we got to the UEFA Cup semi final twice and ended up playing Real Madrid in the Bernabeu. Now that is an experience, and yes. uh, <laughs> twice twice we went from Milan with a two goal lead, and twice we got turned over. Uh, that was a huge disappointment, but it it. it it shows me that the Bernabeu is, is something special on a European night for Real Madrid. Yes, of course. Now, Liam, you went on to play for a small Italian club, but it seems from reading the book that you are always, it's one of your characteristics, you do look to the future, you make good decisions, and one of the decisions it seems you made reluctantly was you would go back and play in England. Well, if I wasn't going to be playing at the highest level in, in Italy, you know, one of the top clubs that had a chance, I, I always wanted to kind of finish my career back in England. And, you know, m- my heart was set in going back to Arsenal because it meant yes. so much to me. Yes. But by this time, George Graham was now the manager. When Don Howe and Terry Neal 
I'd been a manager in my years in Italy. They were always calling me up, see how I was, and yeah. you know if I was interested yes. in coming back. But um, uh, when George Graham got the job, uh, I had hoped that with finishing up at Inter Milan, he would bring me back to Arsenal. But he he was on uh, he was on another trajectory. He yes. was going down the road of young players, a young hungry players, which proved to be a very good decision for him. But uh, it, w- it was a disappointment to me. And I reluctantly went to Astley and then had all sorts of problems there. And I got rescued. Uh, and I'm not kidding when I say that. I did get rescued by John Lyle at West Ham and he brought me back yes. um, the following season. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Now, Liam, West Ham and John Lyle, as you say, gave you a lifeline back to the Premier League, back to England. And also things are happening with the Irish team. Jack Charlton become the manager and you've got a bad injury, an ACL. It's a knee ligament injury. Now, Virgil van Dijk had it. Even now, he's still not the same player. He's lost a yard of pace. It's a desperate injury. And back in the day when you got it, it could be a career-threatening injury, couldn't it? Oh, without doubt, yeah. It took nearly a year. Uh, or in, in those times, it took nearly a year a player had to, had to, had to take to recover from... from uh, from an injury like that, yeah. I think it's a bit better nowadays. You know, I've probably reduced it to five or five or six months. Yeah. But, um, yeah. When 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 I was in uh, when I was in Italy with Inter Milan, uh, Owen lost his job. Uh, Owen Han. Yes. Uh, you know, we went close in 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 eighty two to qualify, just missed out on goal difference. Then our campaigns in eighty four and eighty six weren't weren't great and uh and uh big jack got the job and um i was playing at uh Ascoli at the time uh and uh, i i kind of 
suspected that I was going to have a few problems with Jack. I kind of knew which football he wanted played and things like that. And I wouldn't be, uh, be kind of, uh, fit into, I wouldn't have fitted into what he saw as his midfield kind of player. He wanted to play that type of football. So I knew I was probably going to have a few problems with him when I went back to join the squad. Um, and, um, he, he laid down the law, not only to me, but to all the players that we wanted to play. And um, I was, I played in his first friendly match against Wales. Uh, and we lost 1 0 at Lansdowne, 1 0 to, to an Ian Rush goal. Yeah, I was there that day, yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't a very good performance from, from the Irish team or myself, but it was Jack's first game. Uh, but I thought that would be it for me, you know? Yeah, but let me tell you, there's one mistake in your book, only one, which is brilliant. And it, you say, I was certain that Eamon Dunphy, because I'd been very critical and over-the-top criticism when you were playing for own hand, and I, as I say, I was a driven man in those days, and I was driven and over-the-top. You were certain, you, you write in your book, that I had said to Jack, the first thing you have to do is get rid of Liam Brady. <laughs> and you, you were under the illusion that Jack and I were friends, which wasn't true. John introduced me to him, and, but we were never friends. I, I made it a point of never being friends with the manager of any team, if I could avoid it, because it's a conflict of interest. Well, yeah. Well, you, you, you also made the point to me a few months ago uh, yeah, when I was over uh, yeah. launching the book that, it wasn't you. Oh Jesus! I, no, did no. I say I was certain? I, I, it says I, in I the book I you were certain. Suspected. I, I suspected it was Eggman, but <laughs> I don't way, know. It wasn't. I haven't got the book in front of me. No, it doesn't matter. You're not going to sue me, are you? You're not no, going to sue no, me, are you? No, I think the book is magnificent. As I've told you on a number of occasions, and everyone else <laughs> who's reading it is feeling the same way about it anyway. It doesn't matter. Well, put it this way, Eamon, put it this way. Uh, I apologize for that if, uh, if it wasn't the case. Uh, but certainly I felt I didn't have a great relationship with the Irish uh, newspaper press, uh, yeah. uh, with, with journalists at the time in Ireland. Uh, and... Neither, uh, neither did I. Uh, Jack was quite close to quite close to members of the of the journalistic. He world. was, yes. And uh, I, I had a feeling, or I suspected that they'd said, "Oh, you got to get rid of Brady. You know, he's 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 got too much influence." Blah blah blah. And I think Jack was intent on doing that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he picked me to play against Belgium uh, away. Uh, in our first game of the European Championships. And I didn't expect it, but I was really fit. I joined Askerley, and the coach at Askerley, um, he got us really, really super fit to, to confront the Serie A season that was coming up. Yeah. So when I got to Belgium, I was I was really in good shape. And uh, and we got a great result, the 2-2. And I played re really well. I scored the equaliser from a penalty kick in the last few minutes. And from then on, I never let Jack get the chance to drop me. Yes, do you know what I mean? Evan? I do indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I played. I played well. The team played well. We only lost one match in that qualifying program, and that was away to Bulgaria, um, and a very dodgy decision again in Sofia. Yes, um, but uh, we ended up qualifying, and. When I got sent off against Bulgaria in the last match of those qualifiers, I thought I was walking off the pitch, and that was the end of me with Ireland. I was 32, gone yeah. nearly, wouldn't be long before I was 33. Jack wanted to go a different route with the style of play, and I just thought, well, that'll be it. And uh, I didn't expect us to qualify because Bulgaria only needed a a draw against, against Scotland, Scotland in yeah. Sofia yeah. Yeah. a few weeks later. But lo and behold, Gary Mackay scored that goal uh, to give Ireland the break that we've been waiting for for many, many years. And we, yes. and we qualified for the 88 Euros. Um, and then, you know, I had this four-match ban, got it reduced to two, and then I got injured. I got this ACL, as yes. you mentioned, which was, you know, 
stop me from from uh, being part of the squad in '88. And then by the time I got back, you know, it was it was all over with me and Jack. He'd he'd moved on to other players, and I think he wanted to show that when he substituted me against West Germany that day, which was yeah. the only time I really had a major falling out with Jack. I had to put up with the way, what he wanted, the way he wanted to play. I was just a player. He was the manager. I wanted to play for Ireland. So I had to put up with, you know, not going back and receiving the ball in midfield. You know, if you watch the game that's played today in the Premier League game, yes. nobody boots it down no, the field, do they, no, and chases was, after it. It was rubbish. Like it that. Was... But that was, Jack's, that was Jack's tactics then. And to an extent, they worked very well. One of the things I think he said to John was, John challenged him after, he, he took you off after 30 minutes, after Germany had just scored a goal. The implication, I, I savaged him after the match for doing it, the implication was that somehow you were responsible for Ireland conceding a goal. But he said that John had a goal at him afterwards, because John and he were still pally from the Leeds time. He said, you bang out of order. And he said, I had to, had to find a way to get rid of him, John. You know, and it was. A, I thought that was pretty mean. But well, uh, he, look, he could have pulled me aside, Eamon, and pulled me into his hotel room and said, "Look, Liam, I'm moving on to other players. You don't figure in my plans." Yeah, and you know, I wouldn't have. I would have shaken his hand and wished him all the best. Yeah, but that was the time we did fall out over that substitution. I didn't merit that. No, no, uh, no, and, no. It yeah, was a shot so, around the ground. Yeah, but but that was it. And then maybe maybe what John said to him, I don't know prompted him to write me a very nice letter saying he didn't actually say he was sorry. He just said he didn't, he, he was, he was upset at the way things had worked out between us, you know, because yeah. we, we, in that qualifying campaign, Eamon, we not only lost one game, we had some great results and like Belgium who were the powerhouse in the group. They didn't beat us. We yes. drew home and away with them and we went and beat Scotland away to get a big breakthrough, you know, and yes. people Gary at home in the last match. Uh, to give us a chance of qualifying, so I'd had a great time playing under Jack. So yeah, but he was a very, very stubborn man, wasn't he? He was really, he was, yeah. yeah, he was. He was, he was pig-headed. If I, if that's not too, yeah. Well, John had a good way of describing it, Liam, and the other Leeds players when they were at Leeds. And John's thing was, Jack isn't always right, but he's never wrong. <laughs> <laughs> a good way of describing his stubbornness. Now, I want to move you on, Liam, to a fascinating, because your career has been so rich and productive. The first thing was managing. You went to manage Celtic, which is a, your, it was your first job as a manager, a massive club in, in Scotland. Only people who've been there really quite understand how big they, they think they are. Roy Keane told me a story once. He was he went to Celtic to watch a match and uh, he was coming out of the ground and a few Celtic fans recognised him. And he said, when are you going to come and join us, Roy? And he said, I'm, I'm at a big club, he said. Manchester United, he was being nice, he said. Manchester United, come to play for a really big club. <laughs> and that's the way they think, don't they? And you you went at a bad time. They weren't the best organised at board level. No, they weren't. And they, you know, they didn't have the money to match what was happening over the road at Ibrox under David yes. Murray. Uh, but, you know, I'm not making any excuses there. Uh, it was a difficult time to deal with people at the board on the board because they were under pressure as well you know yes. because the club wasn't going in the right direction and i was uh, i was a rookie yeah and i made some rookie decisions you know and um uh, it, it, i couldn't i couldn't make any inroads into into stopping rangers and you know if that's if that's the case for a couple of years you know your fate you know and that's what happened to me so i left or um uh, I, I, I knew the board wanted me out, so I resigned. So away yeah. I went. And uh, that was the end of that chapter. It was probably a chapter in the book that, uh, and in my life that, you know, I wish I, I hadn't, hadn't uh, experienced. But that's football, Eamon, isn't it? You know, it is indeed, you make yeah. a decision. But you went, to, you went to Brighton, which is where you live now, 
and you saved that club, really. And the story of how you did it and what you had to do, really fascinating. And you brought your, your great friend, recently deceased, terrific footballer, a really nice guy, Jerry Ryan, sadly died just a few weeks ago, Liam, which I'm sure I know it pained you greatly. He went with you there, and Jimmy Case, who was one of the football's great hard men who used to play for Liverpool. <laughs> and you tell a lovely story in the book about Jimmy Case. But you saved that club. Well, look, Eamon, we, we, I went there, and I, I was under no illusion. Uh, they, they didn't have any money at all, you know. And Jerry was the one that rang me up and said I could get the job. And I knew Brighton had potential because I'd played against them when they got to the first division in the early 80s. Yes. Uh, in 1980, we played them, 1979-80 season. They were back in the first division, or not back in the first division, they were in the first division for the for their very first time in their history. And, um, you know, those, the Brighton and Hove and, and surrounding areas, it's a, big, it's a big place and there's a lot of people down here who love the football, so... Yep. Uh, I thought I'll have a crack at this, but you know the board were dreadful people and just wanted to sell the club out. But Jerry and I had a great time together, and uh, yeah, Jerry passed away a few weeks ago. He was a dear, dear friend yes. who we loved. We loved uh, our football and our horse racing and things like that. So uh, that was sad. But he was the one that put it in my mind that I could get the job. So I went, but. Uh, and I'm glad I did. I'm still here. And uh, look at the club now. They're playing in Europe. Yes. And uh, they got a beautiful big stadium. Um, uh, I was right about the club having that that kind of potential. It was, But I had two and a half years where it was purely survival, you know, just trying to hang on to our position in the league, you know. One good example of that was when you were going to an away match and the coach turned up but the driver wasn't going anywhere because they hadn't been paid for the last few trips. Yeah, well, and you had to get your own credit card out and and pay the club's debt to get off the ground. Yeah, to get up to I think we were going up to Rotherham or somewhere like that, Ooh, you know, the, taking up and up to Yorkshire. And yeah, I said, yeah, well, look, well, I'll pay you now and I'll get you the the rest of the money you're owed and things like that. So. I was forever having to yeah, yeah, fire yeah. fight down there. You know, they wouldn't pay their bills. It was uh, it was an experience, and it was an experience I actually enjoyed. Eamon, you know, yes, indeed. And you, you can look at them today. So I'm still down. I'm still down here. I'm still I'm still friendly with a lot of the players that have stayed down here who played for me and played yes. for Jerry and things like that. Um, yeah, I brought Jimmy Case back. He was one of my big signings. He was 41 years of age at the time. <laughs> That's how bad we were. There's a lovely story you tell in the book about Jimmy Case, who was a, a very hard man and played for Liverpool in the great Liverpool sides, was a very good player. But he, he, he went over the top of the ball and slaughtered somebody, and you got up off the bench and said, what the fuck's going on here? And he said... Sorry, Liam, I couldn't resist it. <laughs> well, that's that was it. It was like it was like a red rag to a bull, you know. He just he yeah. just uh, it was a young kid who yeah went for a ball that he should have never went for with Jimmy Case. Like uh, I'm asked about the hardest men I played against, and Soonis and Case are up there with the very hardest. And right. if there was a fifty-fifty aim, and I left them alone, you could have it. <laughs> okay, now Liam, back to Arsenal for I think which was one of the most fantastic periods in your long and very distinguished career in football you were academy director at Arsenal for 18 years and some great players came out of that young Saka who's playing there at the moment would be a, a, one example and Ketia who scored a hat-trick for them last week is another and the book demonstrates this you are very committed and of course you have a f fabulous passage about Arsene Wenger in this book, and I can understand now why you why you lost your rag with me when I was making fun of Wenger one night when we were doing <laughs> the panel. <laughs> but we, I can understand because you, you you clearly your respect for him is deep, but also you're caring for the young players on under your well under your 
I suppose, coaching and caring for young players, seeing if they can make that transition. And there's fascinating stuff about Ashley Cole, for example, how he looked like he wasn't going to make anything and he did in the end and became one of the best fullbacks ever in, in Britain for, for Chelsea. There was a couple of stories, one in particular, Liam, about a young lad called Danny Ballard. Because your job, obviously, as the academy chief was to nurture these players, pass them on to hopefully the first team. But another part of that job was to tell a player who may be just a teenager and his parents that they weren't going to make it. And it, that was the case with Danny Ballard. Can you just tell us that story? You write about it in the book very movingly. Well, yeah, I always felt that it was my responsibility to tell the boys who were who had to leave. Uh, I should give them the news and give their parents the news. I didn't want to delegate our coaching staff, you know, the, yeah. the lads who were maybe their team managers to do it, because ultimately it was my decision, you know, over over a discussion with all the members of staff, you know, yes. all the all the ones that had an input. Uh, it was ultimately my my decision. You know, sometimes decisions are easy. You could sit around and you'd get a unanimous decision about a kid, and then you'd sometimes get a split decision. And I had to make the call. You know, so I always felt it was my my responsibility to tell them. Yes. But this was my last season. I knew it was finishing up, and young Danny, uh, he was a very committed player. Um, but I hope he won't mind if he ever hears this uh, this podcast that he, he wasn't the quickest Damon, you know. Yes. And I thought he's he's never gonna play for our first team if he hasn't got that speed yeah, at the back as a yes. defender. So yeah, it, it 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 is everything to play at the top level, you know. So I pulled Danny and his and his parents in and I began to explain to him that, you know, uh, didn't think he was gonna be able to to develop anymore at the club and he probably needed to, to leave. And this was this was in my last season and he, he began to get tearful, then he began to sob. Yeah. And I joined in. I was getting tearful myself. And I thought, shit, I'm getting out of this. I'm I really don't and you know I want to be doing this anymore. And I said, It's okay, Danny, you can stay. <laughs> Forget about what I said. Yeah, which is a very moving and touching. But, I was really leaving Danny's situation to my, to the guy who was going to take over from me. Yes, which was probably the wrong thing to do. But however, Danny went on to get a professional contract at Arsenal. Then he's gone on to um, play in the Championship. I think he's at Sunderland now. Yeah, uh, and he's doing very well. And this, I think, his grandfather or his maybe his grandmother was from Northern Ireland and he's playing in the Northern Ireland international team. So that, that was a nice story about about the situation that uh, I found myself in every January telling kids yes. that uh, they were either promoted onwards at the club or they would have to leave. That wasn't, that was the worst part of the job. Yes. And as I say, you were there for 18 years and the fruits of what the work you did are evident all over the place. Just let me get close to the finish now, Liam, by asking you about Arsene Wenger. He came to English football unknown. He had been managing a coaching in Japan. He really revolutionised football in a way, I think, but I'm more, it's not what I think that matters. What impression did he make on you, Liam, you talk about his curiosity for things. You said that was one of the most striking things about him. Would you agree that he did? I mean, he had this feud, as it were, with Alex Ferguson, but the, the two clubs were the two clubs for quite some time, weren't they? Arsenal and Man U was the, was the game. Yeah, well, I think Arsenal and Man U, uh, un, even under George Graham, George Graham had been really the only, the only manager to stop Alex Ferguson a couple of times. So they'd won the title twice under George uh, Arsenal, but uh, Ferguson had gone on to really dominate the game until Wenger arrived at the club. And when Arsenal arrived at the club, he brought uh, a lot of new ideas, but also his expertise uh, on French footballers. And 
we already had a very, very strong team. Uh, it was George Graham's team. You know, all those guys, those young, hungry players yes. that he bought, you know, the likes of Winterburn and Dixon and, and Keon and uh, Stevie Bold and the captain, Tony Adams. Like, they were all winners, Aim. You yes. know? Yeah, very much so. But uh, what Arson did, he brought he brought in uh, uh, Patrick Vieira and Emmanuel, Emmanuel Petit and and, and uh, Nicholas Anelka and o- Overmars, and he he really made he really enhanced the team. He they, we had the foundations of a great team. We also had David Seaman and Gold. So. Yes. But he brought this, and he also introduced a new way of playing. Like George Graham would never have said to Tony Adams, I want you to bring the ball out from the back or anything like that. You know, Arson insisted that they do that. Yes. But what he did do was give the midfield players in front of them and could handle any situation. You know, So he revolutionized the, the, the transfers in the, the transfer business in the club, and he revolutionized the way that the team played. And he also said to me, you know, as head of youth development, he said, don't just look in England and the British Isles and Ireland and Scotland. And let's look all over, all over Europe yes. for good young yes. players. And uh, he just brought a level of intellect to the whole thing, Eamon, that I hadn't seen before. Yes, and he was ahead of his time because that's what, where even Brighton, your hometown club now, it's a globalized game, and you have to look outside of your own parish. That's right. Yeah, he, he his scouting uh, probably prompted everybody to uh, to to look into more detail of you know where you can find players and how you can get them. The other thing he also I also mentioned he he prolonged players' careers, Eamon, by getting them to look after themselves a yes. lot more. You know, yes, yeah, and like the alcohol. There was an alcohol culture at the club. Uh, until he came and he changed that yeah. two or three people left from the first team and i think the others realized that this this guy is 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 a real he's got real authority and if we're gonna stay at the club and get new contracts at the club and prolong our career at the club we're gonna have to change our ways and they did that and it became super fit the diet all the diet was changed all things like that he just he just brought so many different aspects that the club hadn't had until his arrival. Yeah, and strangely enough, Liam, it was something Alex Ferguson, there was a drinking culture at Old Trafford as well, and he got rid of them. He got rid of them. Some of them are household names around here, so I won't say too much about it. And they had a drinking culture, but that was the game in the past. I'm going to stop with Arsene Wenger, Liam. I don't need to tell you because everyone else who's read this book has told you but I would say the book is called Liam Brady Born to be a Footballer it's one of the best sports books of any kind that I've read it gives you an absolute insight into Liam as a person and what an impressive man he is in everything that he does even if it's telling a kid he's not going to make it or telling a mouthy journalist in Dublin, to shut up. (laughs) It's a great book, and you should be very proud of it. And I know our listeners will want to read it, our football listeners, but it's it's more than a football book. It's a book about different cultures, about adapting to different situations, and also, in many ways, about the Ireland Liam left and the one he sees today. And the last question I'll ask you, Liam, is this. You know, as someone with a real intellect yourself, what is the single biggest difference between the Ireland you left with David O'Leary and Frank Stapleton and the one you come back to now, if you can pin it down to one thing? Well, we're we're educated people now, Eamon, I have to say, yes. you know. Uh probably education might bring you might bring you uh uh, the the ability to make money and making money in Ireland um, has brought us some bad things as well. Uh, you know this this Celtic Tiger and so yep. forth. Um, and uh, but I actually think you know the level of education that people have in Ireland now and 
I have a son there and he's got two young kids going to school and things like that. I've got no worries about those those grandchildren of mine. They're going to be brought up in a in a great place. And uh, I, I think Ireland's a great place. And you take aside maybe a bit of greed here and there and, uh, you know, some political upheaval that probably every country has. Yeah. I think Ireland has proved to be one of the success stories of, of Europe. Okay, Liam, we're very grateful to you for the time you've given us to talk about your life. The book, as I say, is already a bestseller. It has had some spectacular reviews, and we wish you well with the book. We wish you well also in the future. Sure, we'll see you. We know you've given up analysis for RTE and, unfortunately, for The Stand, but you will remain one of the greatest sportsmen we've ever produced and one of the greatest footballers the world has ever produced and you ain't finished yet baby so thank you very much Liam all right thank you we're very grateful to Liam and to all of you for listening that's all we have time for we'll talk to you soon Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.